0: Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. Morning, church. Hey, Hey, um, let's, let's take a minute and pray here about something that's on a lot of people's minds, and that's this whole virus thing, right? It's understandable. It's hard to weigh out what's real and what's not real, right? And I get that, and it's hard to, hard to sort out what's kind of media-driven and what's and so I think we should, as a church, just pray. And uh, I, feel like, I feel like I want to adapt a little bit of my style. Because uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but I really like to hug people. Uh, it's like my thing. And uh, if I'm coming after you with a hug and you think, like, I don't know who else you've hugged uh, recently. Just give me a little elbow. Like, I will not be offended, okay? Just give me a little. Or just turn around walk the other way or something. <laughs> But if there's any reason you don't want to shake my hand or get a hug, would you please just do that? Okay, uh, that's about as that's as far as I can go. All right, I don't want to. I don't want anybody to stay away from church because they think they might get sick from the pastor, right? Father, we pray your blessing on this. This first, this community of faith right here. These believers, seekers who come into this house on Sundays looking for you and wanting to be in fellowship with each other. You've made this a place of profound safety, Lord. You've put a wall of protection around this place and we know that you are our protector and so we just ask, Father, that you would also make this a place of, of protection and safety against this, uh, this virus that's running around the world right now, Father. We, we pray also for our city, for our state, for our nation, for our world, Father. We pray for those who have lost loved ones through this disease and pray for your comfort to be on them. We pray for those who are suffering with it right now in the name of Jesus. We pray you'd heal them and just break this virus. Just break it in Jesus' name. But we come to you, Father, just now and ask you to release us from any of the fear of it, Father, any of the anxiety of it. That we would not be people who are driven by fear, but but that we would, uh, we would just follow you, Father. So, Father, speak to us. Tell us the right things to do. Tell us the logical things to do. And uh, we just surrender our whole selves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen, church? Amen. Okay. Well, two very good things happened to me this week. Ask me what they were. First thing is I lost my phone. Oh, my gosh. What a blessing that is to lose your phone, man. I don't mean I misplaced it. I mean, I, I think I was uh, cleaning out the stalls in the barn on my tractor, and I got this blade that I haul the good stuff out with, you know what I mean? And uh, I think it fell out of my pocket at that point, and probably so. And I probably ran over it with the tractor somewhere. So it's either ground into the mud or in some big stinking pile of steaming horse, goat, and cow poo. Okay. So, but boy, what a what! I figured out how to get my text online, so I, I'm like totally out of touch if somebody needs me. But boy, it's really nice not to have that in my pocket. I don't know if I'm going to get a new one or not. I, I don't know. Well, the other thing that happened, ask me what's the other good thing that happened this week. Chip the goat had a come to Jesus moment. I don't know. If you were here last week, I talked to you about Chip the goat and Scout the horse, and Chip the goat had some kind of come to Jesus moment because, you know, I was telling you how standoffish he was last week and, and, and all that. Well, I I I want, we, I took my grandson Jeremy home. We took him home with us for the day. We, we went out in the barn and we're hanging out and stuff. And, and and Chip just comes right up to Jeremy and puts his head up to be scratched. And then all week long, he's been like that with me. He's like walking over like, you want to scratch me now? <laughs> Did you guys pray for Chip the goat or what? I, some of you were afraid of what might happen if he didn't get his act together maybe, but... Wow, it was, ama- it was an amazing difference. <laughs> what a parable of two kinds of believers, though, right? You know, Scout the Horse is that believer who not only sees, sees me as a food source, but as a source of relationship and love. And up till last week, Chip the Goat just you didn't want anything to do with the relationship. I just need you for food. I think Chip coming to Jesus this week maybe just tells us all that anybody can change, right? <laughs> it's so weird. Last week we started a five-week series entitled Jesus in HD. We want to we just bring Jesus into clear view in our lives. I want to help you, every one of you who so desires to have a clear encounter with Jesus. We talked about from John 10 last week, Jesus the Good Shepherd, and that the relationship that God is offering us through his son Jesus is one that's personal. It's not distant. It's caring. It is commanding. He wants to direct our lives, and it's experiential. Your assignment for last week was to keep reading in John chapter 10, as you may recall, and ask two questions. Is, Is that true? Does God really want to have that kind of relationship with me? And then the second was, if that's true, how do I begin to experience that? How do I begin to encounter God, really? Today we want to focus more specifically on the varieties of ways that a person can get to that, into that place of encountering God. So Father, we invite you to come now in the declaration of your word from Hebrews and, and the application of these principles into our lives. Lord, you know my heart. My heart is that every person who so desires would encounter you in a wonderful experiential way. So we invite you to come in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 if you have one. If you don't have one, it's okay. I'll be reading it. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one before you go. Just come on up here and uh, talk to anybody and we'll be happy to make sure you go home with a Bible if you don't own one. Hebrews chapter ten. That's in your New Testament. If you don't, if you're not familiar with the Bible, it's in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter ten. We're going to be looking at verses nineteen through twenty-five. While you're getting there, either in your Bible or on your devices, um, I, I just want to lay out the context. Remember, context for studying the Bible is so important, isn't it? To get what's going on in the bigger picture, so that we don't misinterpret it. Well, with this with this book of Hebrews, it's not. We're not certain of the human author who who God used. Human-wise, to to write the book of Hebrews, but it's likely not authored by the apostle Paul. Uh, Probably not for several reasons. Uh, When you read the book of Hebrews, it has kind of a literary form to it, compared to Paul's, which are letters. You know, they're sort of like a a letter. It has the form. The form of Hebrews is more precise in its language and stuff, whereas Paul's letters to the various churches in the New Testament we're kind of more ambling, you know, were not they? You know kind of he talks about this for a while and he talks about that for a while and then he comes back to talking about this for a while. The content of Hebrews is more theological than it is practical. So you know when you're reading the other books like Philippians and stuff like that 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 Paul wrote that he 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 tends to mix it up a lot, doesn't he? He says this is who God is, this is what you guys need to do, this is who God is, this is what you guys need to do, right? And so that's Paul's style and Hebrews doesn't follow that it's almost entirely uh, theological and the language of the the book of Hebrews is more polished than Paul's kind of ambling style you know sort of stream of consciousness uh, style so it probably wasn't Paul but we don't know who but that doesn't kind of doesn't matter in the sense that it was inspired by God and the second thing about the context is likely first written to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who were facing extreme levels of persecution for their faith. So remember, the, the churches knew Jesus had died for us. He'd gone to heaven, poured out his spirit. It was a big thing happening throughout, throughout the Middle East. And, and in Jerusalem, the believers there who were born Jewish but who came to Christ were facing really intense persecution for that. And when you read through the book of Hebrews, you, see, you can see encouragements hang in there, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep, don't, don't give up kind of things. Um, the third point of context is that it provides, the book of Hebrews provides an essential link between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, how many of you, come on, you're reading through the Old Testament, you think, well, there's one God, and then you get to the New Testament, well, it's like a whole different God, right? But it's the same God. But a huge thing happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that is that a covenant, a new covenant was made between God and, and people and so this, this book of Hebrews talks about that, explains that, and so it provides a, a truly an essential link between the two Testaments. It's also an invaluable book for studying Christology. Ask me what Christology is. Go ahead. Christology is, the, is the, literally the study of Christ. So it's, it's the study of the essential nature of Jesus Christ. What, you know, what was he, and what is he, who was he, and who is he, is, is Christology. And Hebrews tells us that, that Jesus, his essential nature was God in the flesh. Hebrews says that in Jesus, was this is the words that used use, was the exact representation of the being of God. So that Jesus wasn't a prophet, Jesus wasn't a teacher, Jesus wasn't like anybody else who had ever been, but Jesus is God in the flesh, which is the common way that Christians talk about that, and Hebrews really spells that out. Um, Hebrews argues very squarely against the idea that Jesus was not the Messiah because he didn't come to an establish an earthly kingdom. So Jews forever had thought that when, when the Messiah comes, well, he's going he's to establish an earthly kingdom, and man, we're going to be on top of it. We're going to be ruling, and in reality, that was never the intention of God, it was a misunderstanding of the prophecy of the Old Testament. And so when Jesus came and he he kind of got going, he got a lot of got a lot of airtime, but then he was crucified. And so they said, well, he's not the Messiah because he didn't establish an earthly kingdom. Well, in chapter 12 of Hebrews, it says that the that the kingdom that Jesus came to establish is a spiritual one. The kingdom of God is a spiritual one. And so he That's part of the Christology, the nature of Christ. It also says that Jesus, uh, the the place of Christ is as the high priest. So in Old Testament times, they had priests who did the various sacrifices, and then one was appointed for uh, one year at a time as the high priest and directed the priest, but also went into a special place called the Holy of Holies, the only one that was allowed in there. Well, Here in in Hebrews, it says that Jesus now fulfilled all of that so that he is the high priest. Um, So this is kind of the context. I think if I were exiled to a desert island with only one book of the Bible, I would strongly consider Hebrews. I really would because there's just so much in it. So with that in mind, let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. That's a lot of context, wasn't it? Say, that's okay, Tom. Appreciate it. Okay. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning of verse 19. Therefore, we'll get back to that. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's go through this. Let's start with the word therefore. Therefore, therefore, when we read the Bible and we see a word therefore, we stop to see what it's therefore. therefore. Great. So it connects us with what it just talked about. And it just talked about Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice. So, therefore, since Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, we have the confidence to enter the most holy place. Next, look at what that even means. The holy place by the blood of Jesus, the holy of holies. There's This transition is happening from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, I think many of you know that the temple was the center of, of Jewish worship. But in the temple, the grounds were divided into different areas so that there was an inner place called the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, and only the high priest was allowed to go in there one time a year. So you didn't just go sashaying in to the presence of God. And now, now the author of Hebrews is saying, therefore, because Jesus Christ died for us, the ultimate sacrifice, since we have... Con- we... John, we have confidence to enter the Holy of Holies. We have confidence to enter into the presence of God. Hello? Do you see this shift? Do you see how radical this would have been? Man, you see why they were persecuted? (laughs) Since we have confidence to enter this Holy of Holies, keep reading on, by a new and living way. The new way is Jesus. It's the new covenant, which is a fulfillment of the old covenant. So you have the Old Testament, Old Covenant, all the law, all the prophecies about Jesus. Jesus came, and he's the new covenant, but a new and living way, because he's alive. Did you get, did you get this memo? Jesus rose from the dead. Did anybody hear this? So he's alive. And so the move of the Holy Spirit among us is, is in fact, a representation of a living Jesus here. So he's saying we can go in because of this new and living way. And then he talks about our great priest again. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus. You see, Jesus is the only priest we need. And I don't want to be unkind toward Christian groups that use priests. I don't mean it that way at all. But I just don't understand it. When Jesus said, I want to be your priest, I want to be your priest. I don't know why, I don't know why you would settle for a person to be your priest when Jesus wants to be a priest, right? Why would you put anybody between you and the Lord himself when he says, hey, when the Bible says, come on, let's go into the presence of God because the priest, now, oh, I've got so much about the priesthood. The mistake people make with priests is that the priesthood was never about the priest. It was always about the blood. You see, the priest did the sacrifice. And so it was about the blood that was shed for them that it was the priest's job to provide. And so to become attached to a priest would be settling for so much less because it's the blood that was shed by the sacrifice. The priest was really about the blood. And so even today, he says, Jesus shed the perfect blood, therefore, <laughs> he's our great priest. Jesus is both the priest and the blood because he allowed himself to be... Is that making sense to anybody but me? Okay keep moving on. So he says, let us draw near to God. We'll get back to that. And hold on, hold on to it unswervingly. In verse 23 let us hold on to the hope we profess. Unswervingly. Do you remember the context? This was written to Jewish believers, Christians now, who were being persecuted for their faith. So when you read hold on unswervingly to the, to the, to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He's saying, don't give up. Don't give up. And he's he's saying in verse 24, look at the true motivation for us coming together so that we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Some of you guys are such an inspiration to me. You really do. You really are. And I see you in my heart. (laughs) It just leaps. Not all of you. Some of you I don't like that much. I mean, some of us, we've got history. And I've seen your good works. I've seen your life. And it's just such an inspiration. And I think that's what we're meant to do when we come together is to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then he says, uh, one more time, he says, don't give up. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Again, think about the context. Why would they not want to meet together? Fear. Fear, right? Fear of being recognized as a believer and being persecuted, possibly killed. So when we use this verse to say, don't be lazy, come to church, the context was, come to church even though you might die. See? <laughs> That's what it really means. Come to church even if you might die. That's <laughs> what it says. Because there's power in coming together. We're not saved by coming to church, but God wants to do something with us when we're together. Okay, now circle back to that Let us uh, not give up meeting, or let us draw near to God. Verse 22. Okay? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Let's draw near to God. Picture this, please, in your minds. Use your imagination. You've got a presence of God who is in some space, was the Holy of Holies. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, Come on in by the blood of Jesus, come right in there. That's the relationship that is being offered to us through, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. A relationship with God where we encounter his very presence. That's an amazing invitation, isn't it? To us? Did anybody sin this week besides me? I didn't mean to. I can't think of what I did, but I'm sure. I mean, I, I could when I was praying my morning prayers. and say, Oh, Lord, forgive me. And we're the ones who are invited into the presence of the Lord by the blood of Jesus. That's all the difference. This place. Let's call it the amazing place, okay? The amazing place. Let's write a song. Amazing place, how sweet. The sound. Let's call it the amazing place. This place where God wants us, wants to meet us there. Now, ask me this question. How do I get there? Okay. First of all, by realizing that one size does not fit all. We're different, aren't we? How you get there might be different than how I get there. Now, before I go any further, let me say what I said last week. We're not talking about having a redemptive relationship with God. There's only one way for that. That's Jesus. That's his shed blood on the cross. There's not many roads. The Bible says clearly. There's just one way. So when I say there are many ways into this chamber, I don't mean there are many ways to be saved. There's Jesus. Bible's clear. Do you know Jesus? All right. So that's where, that's where everything begins. If you haven't come yet to the place of knowing Jesus as your Savior, we really want to help you with that today. We really want to help you cross over into that space where you confess, I need a Savior. Okay? But assuming then that you're there, then there could be many ways to get into that presence. And our mistake Uh, The mistake we have made as a church in general is, is, is trying to say there's only one way or there's a best way. When in reality, we're all so different that if I say to you, this is the way into the presence of God because that's how I get there, I set most of you up for failure, don't I? Because thanks be to God, there's only one me, right? And so if I say this is the way once saved, to ex- encounter the presence of God, then I set most of you up for failure. Think about the different ways different people experience the same thing. Acts chapter 2, for example, when God poured out his Holy Spirit, right? There's some people going, I'm hearing, I'm hearing the gospel. in my language, And there's other people going, these guys are drunk, right? Think about, think about the different ways we experience an amusement park. King's Island. Uh, I'm in line. Karen goes to get the drinks. I'm in line with the kids for the roller coaster. I'm terrified, but I'm in line. Karen doesn't want to go. She, so she goes while we're standing in line for an hour and 15 minutes, and she goes in and brings us drinks. Is that wonderful or what? I'm living a good life. But think about Think about the different ways different people experience the same thing. And it's because of the unique nature of each one of us. Why would it be any different once we're saved in in our pursuit of experiencing the amazing place? Gary Thomas wrote a book called Sacred Pathways. It's really a good book. And uh, also on your outlines, I think I put it on there. Is, that, is the address of a podcast where he talks about That's a really good podcast. So I'm going to fly through this in the next seven minutes, and then, and then uh, you're going to go listen to that podcast if this gets your attention. But he makes a strong case for seeing the varieties of ways that people approach the presence of God. And he also makes a strong case for not making it, boiling it down into a singular way. He talks about nine different ways And I've made some small adaptations to his words to kind of make them fit here a little bit. Uh, Ask me what the nine ways are. The first one is a naturalist. Naturalist. Encountering God outdoors. There are some of us that are just wired to to connect with God outside. Right? I mean, the Bible itself says that God does not dwell in houses built by human hands. (laughs) The Bible says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament proclaimeth the work of his hands. It's like, some of you right now are going, yeah, that's how I, that's, that's my path to encountering the presence of God. Second, he calls the sensates. And these are people who encounter God with their senses, with their eyes, their ears, their nose, their, their, their taste even. And so these people find great pleasure in being in a cathedral. They probably would find it difficult to be in here. There's not a lot to really inspire the senses in here in the way that we're talking about, right? And we don't burn incense, but these people, they like incense because that's, that's part of their pathway to the Lord. There are traditionalists, and these are people who encounter God primarily through symbol or heritage. And so if you just think of tradition and the many symbols that the church has created over the years, including the cross and a variety of other symbols, these are not, these are not idols. They're symbols that cause the traditionalists to, to connect with God. And also, traditionalists would be by heritage. Some of you, when, when Chase just led, then sings, my soul, you just kind of got all worked up, didn't you? It's like, finally a song I know, right? <laughs> finally a song that God wrote. Finally, right? <laughs> and you're a traditionalist, and you heard that song, it's like, yeah, now I'm alive. Okay, because, of your, because of heritage. Aesthetics. These are people who encounter God through silence and solitude, kind of the monastic life. They deny themselves. They get into space. They're, they're great fasters. They're, and they encounter God in these acts of sacrifice. Activists encounter God in action. They, they're just doing stuff. They're, they're, there's something going on, and they're in it. Remember the March for Jesus we used to do around the city? Oh, yeah, Right? I mean, those were the activists. We're just out there pounding it out. Yay, Jesus, right? I mean, and people encountering God through that kind of action. There are caregivers. Those are people who encounter God by loving others. And I don't just mean feeling love, but the act of love, that person can actually encounter the presence of God. There are enthusiasts, Gary Thomas says. These are people who encounter God in dynamic celebration, right? And, and these are people who love it when it gets going and it kind of gets out of hand, you know? And, uh, and, and they don't care. They don't really want to know what the plan is. I just want to get in the space with God maybe with some other people and just keep pounding and pounding and we'll see where we end up. Different than the traditionalists, right? Traditionalists like the bulletin, right? They like the bulletin. They like to see the pieces. That's all right. There are contemplatives, Gary Thomas says, encountering God through meditation, and through adoration. So contemplatives truly adore God, but it's kind of on a quiet, in a quieter way than the enthusiasts. Does that make sense? Okay. And then finally, he says they're the intellectuals, people who encounter God in thoughtful consideration. It doesn't mean this person has a high IQ. It just means that they has to have a high IQ. It just means they encounter God through, through that thought process, through that cognitive process. And when they read the Bible and they see something or they hear something taught that makes sense to them, they go, boom, that was awesome, right? So these are the nine ways. Do you see yourself up there anywhere? Beginning to? Yeah? On the count of three, call out your top one. One, two, three. Hmm. I asked for one. Actually, we're, we're likely all a blend of several of them, aren't we? Let's think of it that way. We're all kind of a blend of several of them. And this list isn't exhaustive, but I think it is comprehensive. You might be able to think, well, what about, and maybe you would add to the list. But I think this is a pretty comprehensive list for you to work with in this series. And it illustrates that there is more than one path into the presence of God once saved, right? Let's, Let's revisit that. Once saved through Jesus Christ and his shed blood, then there's, there's more than one, one path from there for you to encounter uh, the Lord. Let me illustrate how this works. When I look at these particular nine pathways to the amazing place, I see myself being most successful in three. Number one, the naturalist. I gotta get outside. I gotta get outside. I encounter God more, much more outside then I do inside. You hear me talking, walking over the wall? That's because that's where God is, okay? He's not in here. He's out there, right? Just so you know. <laughs> I'm a naturalist. I'm an enthusiast. I do like to get into it, whether I'm alone or with you all. And I don't need to know where it's going. Let's just let her rip and see where this thing goes. And then number three, I encounter God as a caregiver. I really, oh my gosh, you guys. And this is getting more as I, as I just advance in my own walk with Jesus. I was in a hospital room a couple of weeks ago with a man who wasn't conversing. He hadn't even been able to open his eyes for about a month and walked in and his eyes were open and he couldn't talk. But, so his wife and I, we got around and just prayed, prayed for him. And as we were praying, oh my gosh, you guys, this gigantic grin came across his face. Now he had been unresponsive for a month. And he, he, a kind of grin came off his face and I said to his wife who was praying with her eyes closed, praise with her eyes closed. I said, I said, her name, hey, 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 look, look. And she looked and said, Oh, that's pure joy. And you could feel the presence of the Lord in the room, right? Oh my gosh. And then this man's eyes looked away from us and he went, and then he grew bigger. Boy, wouldn't you just love to know what he was looking at? Come on. You see. I encounter God in caregiving situations. Okay. Now let's talk about three other people that you may know. Uh, I have neither discussed any of this with them or sought their permission to talk about them in front of you. So these are all my opinions. Let's begin with my wife, Karen. All right? And uh, Karen is, first of all, an activist. I mean, she's a get her done person. Whether she's organizing a welcome team, organizing a mission trip, whatever, she's like, let's get moving. And listen, she encounters God in that. She encounters the Lord in that. Second of all, she's a traditionalist. She, and not by symbol, not like by, uh, you know, the fancy church stuff, but by heritage. And she just really encounters God in some of the more traditional songs and and ways of the church. And to be honest with you, she, many of you have heard her story. She found it difficult to come into the vineyard 27, 28 years ago because it just it, it was devoid of that tradition and, and many of the features of tradition. But she's also, I think, an intellectual in that when she hears a, a, something explained or reads, she's an avid reader. She reads five times more than I read. And she, she just really is impressed by by a thought and encounters god that way in a very co- cognitive rational way. So if you look at that and you see that Karen and I don't have anything exactly in common how do we encounter god together and it's so simple once you see it. We encounter god in a combination of the activist and the caregiver. So when she arranges for us to go to the free store, right? And some of you have seen this. And she's out there. Okay, let's get this stuff. We're serving up, and she's, she's that's that's her encounter with God. Am I behind the table handing out food? I'm sitting down with the people who come to be fed, and I'm having conversation. I'm just asking them about their lives, and I want to pray with them because I'm a caregiver. So we encounter God in the same space. Are you feeling this? I want this to be so liberating for you, man. We've been on mission trips where, you know, she's just doing the thing, doing the work, and I'm, I'm caregiving, and these are both equally valid ways to encounter God. One is not better than the other. Okay, let's talk about Pastor Christian. Okay? Again, I have neither discussed this with him, or he's not here today, so I'm going to just... First of all, he is a contemplative borderline ascetic. If this guy could figure out a way to be a monk and be married, he'd do it. I'm sure of it. I'm just sure of it. He loves his family. I think that's the only thing that's causing him, keeping him from burrowing in somewhere and just contemplating and adoring Jesus. Okay. Second, he he is also an enthusiast. Have you ever watched him worship? He's a pretty active fellow, isn't he? Yeah. And he has... He, he is an enthusiast. And I think, third, he also is an intellectual. He's a very cognitive, thoughtful person. Uh, his messages certainly convey a level of, of cognitive academic depth that's really so refreshing, isn't it? And that's how he encounters God is in the thought of it. Now, if you looked at the other ways, you could see that everybody's also going to make other connections with God, but I'm just picking out the top three. Okay, now let's move on to Pastor Chase. Okay, so first of all, Pastor Chase—I don't know if you'll buy this or not—is first of all a traditionalist. He really is. I mean, who who leads an Ash Wednesday service, right? Who, it's symbol for him. He's going to lead a Tenebrae service, which will be Monday Thursday, the day before uh, Good Friday. It's very symbolic, and he finds great connection with God in the symbolism. Me, not so much. But. That doesn't mean one way is better than the other. It's the way he connects with God. But he's also an enthusiast. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and he'd be loving this environment here where he can kind of have a little more liberty to go, yeah, if the Holy Spirit's moving, just keep going, right? And so he loves that. But he's also an intellectual. He's an intellectual. He's, very, he's not as smart as me, but he's, he's a smart guy. He's a smart guy, very thoughtful, very cognitive, very rational guy. In spite of the fact that as an enthusiast, he can get into it emotionally. Now, if you look at the three of us, what do you see we have in common? We're enthusiasts. So when we had a retreat, a pastor's retreat a month or so ago, and we just spent Friday night doing what? (laughs) Who knows what? We didn't care. Chase broke out the guitar, and that was the end of the story and we just spent the night pursuing God. Is this making sense? Okay. Well, when you look at the difference between those, you see that we are different kinds of leaders. We all want the same thing for you, for you to encounter God. And you see it's okay for us to be different, right? It's true my way is the best way. Wait for it. Can't be. All right? can't be. Now let's talk about you. What would you put in? Just think for a second. Just ponder this. We'll, we'll just silently populate those, those boxes. Those top three What would be your top three? Hmm. It's so important for you to be liberated to pursue God that way. So if you come in here and like the enthusiasts are just getting it on and you're kind of leaning on the front of your chair, it's all right. You're waiting for somebody to say something intelligent, right? <laughs> it's all right. It's okay to be you. One size does not fit all. One path is not better than another. And God made you a certain way. And you have a set of pathways... It doesn't mean that from time to time you can't encounter God in the other pathways. Of course. I like them all. But I know what is my default. Right? Somebody want to get that, please? Thanks. Appreciate it. What is that, anyway? What was that? A, f- a what? A f- what is that from? Oh, they found my phone? Okay. Listen. Let's close with this. The Bible says, the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says you are God's workmanship. And he made you a certain way. And our heart as pastors for years is just to help you engage on a path to encounter the living God in a way that is that is consistent with how God has made you. I hope this is liberating for you. Now, on the back of your outline, if you have got an outline, there's a there's a website. Oh, if if, you, if this has your attention, go to that website because there's even an assessment tool, well, like 65 question da, 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 preference thing, and it'll, it it just it, it, it nailed me. It said exactly those three things I said about myself. Also, ask home group, small group leaders if they'd like to maybe do this as home groups. You can do that. But I really want to encourage you. If, if you're not a normal outline flyer, that's fine. We, we made some extras today, so if you want to pick one up on the way out so you have that source, resource. But I, I just think it's, it's such a cool resource because not only does it have an assessment tool, but it has a, like a... a A one page summary on each one, so you don't have to read the whole book. And I think you could really find life by discovering who you are and paying attention to the counsel of Gary Thomas. That's about all I got to say about that. What should we do next? We can sing, brother. All right. Let's worship.